Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Revelation is an amazing book, but it also presents challenges for interpretation. Most theologians interpret Revelation through one of four lenses, preterist, futurist, idealist, or historicist. Preterists believe that most, if not all, of the prophecies in Revelation were fulfilled in the first century, when Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed. They argue that Revelation was for first century Christians, not for future Christians. Futurists believe Revelation's prophecies will be fulfilled in the future. They watch for signs to see if the future will be fulfilled in our lifetime, including Jesus's second coming. Idealists appreciate Revelation as a metaphor for the ongoing struggle between good and evil, a metaphor that is relevant to us but not necessarily in a prophetic, future-predicting way. Historicists view Revelation as a road ramp for past, present, and future events, believing it corresponds with different periods in history. This is the official view of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination, which sees Ephesus as the first-century church, Smyrna as the persecuted church before Constantine, the Pergamum, Thyatira and Sardis churches stretching into and through the medieval Reformation time period and Laodicean as the church from 1844 until Jesus returns. Even from a historious viewpoint, it's important to pay attention to the messages to all seven churches, not just the one for our time period, because these messages give us insight into God's concerns, hopes, and dreams for his church today. For the church in Philadelphia, we might call it an open door. You want to take a look at a door? That's a door. You don't recognize that as a door? That's a door. So, um, welcome to item number... 125205 in the British Museum. I know you're all familiar with it. <laughs> this is the lintel. That's the, what goes over the top of a door. It's a lintel from a tomb. And according to the description on the museum's website, what you're looking at is a Hebrew funerary inscription from the entrance of a tomb which may have contained the remains of Shebna, you all know Shebna, the royal steward of King Hezekiah, carved from limestone, much damaged. So that's maybe why you didn't recognize this. I forgive you that you didn't recognize the door right away. So uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I showed up to hear about the Church of Philadelphia. I don't know about this uh, lentil stuff. I'm hungry, though. It's getting close to... Maybe it's just me. Anyway, but... uh, What does this have to do with anything? Well, I want to talk to you about Shebna for a minute. Yeah, Shebna. 
for those that, yeah, I know all of you probably are very familiar with Shebna, but just for people like me who just really discovered Shebna this week, let me go ahead and share a little bit about Shebna. Shebna can be found in the book of Isaiah chapter 22. And that's what makes this piece so cool is that they actually, the, the archeologists, the people who study these things actually think they found the tomb of somebody who is actually mentioned specifically in the book of Isaiah. And it's because of, you know, you, you can read what it says on there so you understand what I'm saying. Um, yeah, that's, that's ancient Hebrew script, by the way. So anyway, all that to say, they really believe that this belonged to this guy that's in Isaiah 22. So let me tell you a little bit about Shebna. Shebna was the chief steward for King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was one of the great kings of Israel. He was right up there with David, Solomon, Hezekiah. Very important kings in Israel's history. And Shebna was his chief steward. What does that mean? Well, for those of you... Um, you know, if you're familiar a little bit with politics, you just think about like the chief of staff for the president of the United States. This is kind of that role, the chief steward for King Hezekiah. But maybe even bigger and more important in the sense that basically Shebna's role would have given him complete and utter access to everything that Hezekiah can, had. And also he could control who came, who went, who got what, who was not given what. And that went to Shebna's head. It went to Shebna's head. He started thinking he was pretty powerful, pretty important. And he actually started to think he was more important than he really was. And Isaiah prophesies and says, Shebna, your head's gotten too big for you. And what's the reason behind it? Well, he says, Shebna, you went and you built a tomb for yourself where you had no business building a tomb for yourself. You can look this up, Isaiah 22. Isaiah says, you thought you're so important that you went and you built a special carved out of stone tomb, right? You put it right where all the major kings of Israel are buried. Now, I know for those of us in our time culture may not really understand, I mean, because, you know, that people get buried. It doesn't, you don't really think about, you know, if you, you might be buried next to somebody who's a millionaire and you weren't or you were, you know, it doesn't really matter in our graveyards that way. But in that time, that place, for you to go ahead and build yourself a tomb with the King David's and King Solomon's and put it right there, that's, that's kind of like, you kind of have really got a high opinion of yourself. And Isaiah says, you know what? No, no, no. Because of that, what you had is about to be taken away from you and it's going to be given to somebody else. We're going to take this away from you and we're going to give it to a man named Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. Eliakim, by the way, that name is interesting because it, says, it means God raises. So think about that. So God is taken away from Shebna and God has raised up somebody else who had been less than. So he gives Eliakim. And here's the verse in Isaiah 22, verse 22, that I really want us to focus on because God's speaking to Shebna and he says, I'm going to put the key of the house of David, because Hezekiah was a part of the house of David, on his shoulder, that being Eliakim. So he's saying, I'm taking the key away from you. I'm going to put it on Hilkiah's, uh, I'm sorry, Eliakim's shoulder, and when he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. Just because just it's fun for a second. It says put the key on his shoulder. You think that's a little weird. I mean, how do you put a key ring on your shoulder? That doesn't really make sense. 
Keep in mind, different time, different place. And in that time, that place, keys were huge. So literally, you'd put a key on your, that's how big it was. And not only was it big, but there was only usually one of them. So, you know, we can make multiple copies of keys today. So truly, who, have you ever heard the term having the keys to the kingdom? That's where this phrase came from because basically the chief steward literally had the key or keys to the entire, and nobody else did. So literally, the key, that's how much the king had to trust this person because you had to trust them so much that you would give them the one and only key to all your riches and to all your treasure. Kind of a big deal, right? Kind of a huge deal. And so, by the way, if you, if you look up Shebna and you go back into some, uh, some of Jewish tradition actually says that Shebna may have actually even been a traitor, that he may have actually been passing on secrets to, the, to let uh, Hezekiah's kingdoms in. And so this may be another reason Isaiah was eager to take the keys of the kingdom away and give them to a more trustworthy person. So you're saying, Ken, that's great. We're going to talk about Philadelphia, right? Of course we are. Let's do that. Let's go ahead and talk about Philadelphia. You know what our tradition has been. We all read the passage together, right? So the message that Jesus is giving uh, through John to the church in Philadelphia, you're going to read it together. But take one more good look at that text behind me and see if when we read that message together, if you see anything in the message we're about to read. Ready to go? Yep. Let's do it. Here we go. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and, no one will shut, and who shuts, and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of the testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good job. That was our penultimate reading. Except that next week, you knew I was going to use that word this week. This is, you knew it was going to happen. That's my, one of my favorite words on earth. And I only get to use it every so often. So, um, next week, by the way, our sermon will be online on video. So please do read along when we, because it'll, I will know if you don't. Read along, okay? So do that when you're watching it online. Um, by the way, remember there was a secret word. And if you didn't catch it, it was actually earlier. So you might have to go back and watch the service again. Just saying. Anyway, secret word, get all seven. There you go. So this is our message to Philadelphia. Did you catch 
Anything from Isaiah 22, 22? Yes. Yeah. You, I, I know you saw it. So let's talk a little bit. I know Jody already told us everything we really need to know about Philadelphia. But let me go ahead and share just a few little more things about Philadelphia so that you kind of can catch up a little bit about the city itself. So Philadelphia, out of the seven churches that we find in Revelation, out of the seven, this is the, the baby of the, of, of, the, of the cities, right? It was, it was the newest. It was the youngest city. So Philadelphia was the youngest of the cities. It was also a very prosperous city. And the reason for it was because it was on the Imperial Road. It was on the Imperial Road that Rome had built. And, uh, and so it, it was very important. It, was, it had a lot going on, lots of money. And one of the reasons why it was created, according to Ranko Stefanovic, who is a Adventist theologian and probably one of the leading uh, scholars when it comes to Revelation within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ranko Stefanovic says that Philadelphia was created to be a missionary city. And I know that generally we tend to think of missionaries in terms of Christianity, but missionaries can come from a lot of different kind of backgrounds. And Philadelphia, according to Ranko Stefanovic, was created to be a city that spread Greek culture and the Greek language to the surrounding area. It was put there to specifically propagate and push the Greek culture and Greek language to all the areas that are surrounding it. And so that's one of the things that's going on. And so what we're going to discover is that in Jesus' message, perhaps he views Philadelphia as a missionary city as well, but maybe in a slightly different way. So what's going on in Philadelphia with the Christians in Philadelphia? Why is John, why is John writing this letter to him? Why is Jesus talking to them? What's happening with the Christians in Philadelphia when this letter comes to them. Well, they were going through a lot of severe persecution. They were going through a difficult, difficult time. One of the things that we, we probably sometimes forget a little bit about, and I think it's important for us to remember, is that Christianity is really an offshoot of Judaism, right? Um, that we came out, that's why you hear the Judeo-Christian tradition, right? And so Christianity came out of Judaism. Jesus, all the disciples are Jewish people. It's important to remember that. And so after Jesus is resurrected, returns to heaven, they didn't just go, okay, time to create a, a Christian church. Let's get this. They, they actually stayed in the synagogues and they kind of became, you know, a branch of, they kind of had their own belief system, but they still would worship. They still identified culturally. They still identified with a lot of the theology because remember, we're seeing, you're quoting Isaiah up here. So they still kind of view themselves in this way. And so what happened in Philadelphia is that the problem was, remember a couple sermons back, I told you that the Romans were not too fond of Christians, right? You remember me saying that? And they weren't too fond of them because they viewed them as, uh, you know, the cannibals, right? Because they eat the dead body and drink the blood of their, their dead God. So that's, that's a little weird, the Romans thought. And then they view them as atheists because they only believed in one God. And we all know the Romans said that there's a pantheon of gods. You can't, one God, that's just basically being an atheist. And, th and there was all kinds of other things that really annoyed the Romans about Christians. Well, you can imagine that could create a problem for the Jewish people in the synagogues. Why? Because you got, you know, you got these crazy people that the government doesn't like. They don't even believe what you believe, but they're going to church with you. And now the, the Roman government is going to start coming down and cracking down on you because of these crazy people over here. And so what happened in Philadelphia and what happened in many of the other churches is that the Jewish synagogues began to expel the heretics. Get out of here. You don't believe what we believe. You're not, you're going to create, you're creating problems for us. And so what happens then is that the Jewish people, I don't know if you've ever been expelled from something that mattered to you. 
but it's painful. It hurts. When your community is torn, you said you can't be a part of this anymore. You're not, it's more than just a set of theological beliefs. It's community. It's people that you care about, people that you thought were your friends, and now they're not anymore. And what's more is as the, the Christians are being expelled, they also lose all the religious protections that, that, that Judaism received from Rome. Rome basically said to, to Judaism, you guys have a strange, weird little religion, but we're going to go ahead and give you your right to practice it the way you want as long as you don't misbehave. And now because the Christians are being expelled from the synagogues, they no longer have those protections. And so now they're open to the Roman Empire persecuting them and putting them to death for their religious beliefs. You can see why the church in Philadelphia might be suffering, might be going through some real difficulty. But here's the thing. It seems like Jesus really, really has an affinity for people who are suffering. Why do I say that? Because you take a look at the two churches that Jesus has absolutely nothing bad to say about. The first church we talked about already, Smyrna. But this is the second church that Jesus has absolutely nothing bad to say about. No complaint. No, all Jesus has is affirmations for them. In fact, Jesus actually goes and does something he doesn't do with any of the other six churches. In his affirmations of this church, he gets so excited that he actually kind of puts in these parenthetical interjections. He's like, I know what you're doing. And because you're doing that, I'm so excited I'm doing this for you. And I know you did this. And because you did that, I'm going to do this over here for you. He doesn't do that for any of the churches in the same way that he does it for Philadelphia. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Jeffrey Wema, a great theologian uh, who studied the book of Revelation, spent a lot of time at Jeffrey points out this parenthetical. And so I'm borrowing this from Jeffrey because it's, it's fabulous. So take a look. The first thing Jeff, uh, that, that Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia is I know your works. And that's a positive. I know what you're doing. I know the fact that you're doing these works has cost you something. You know, sometimes doing the right thing comes with a price tag. It just does. And Jesus says, I know your works. And then he, he's so pleased with Philadelphia that he, he jumps and says, see? You can put an exclamation point, you know, right after C. See? I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Keep in mind there had been a door that had been shut behind them, right? They had just had some doors shut on them and Jesus says, but guess what? I've opened a door that nobody can shut. I know your works and those works have caused a door to be closed behind you, but guess what? I've opened a door before you that nobody can touch. So what is it that's going on with this open door? Well, there's two different kind of ideas about what this open door means and what it is. So let's take a look at them. The first kind of operating theory is that this door is the door to evangelism. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've opened the opportunity for you to witness more. Because of what's happened, now you've got more opportunity to witness than you did before. And that's based off of what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Colossians. In those verses, you'll see that Paul talks about there being an open door. And he always kind of uses it in the context of, this is an open door for me to do more ministry. Okay, so in all three of those texts, he does that. So one theory is that Jesus opened this door, that through what they've gone through, because of the works they've done, Jesus is now giving them more opportunity to share the gospel and the truth with the world around them. That's theory number one. However, other theologians point out and say, well, you know, that's all nice and good, but Paul didn't write the book of Revelation. 
And so just as Paul talks about an open door does not necessarily mean that's what's being trying to be said here in Revelation. So they point to Revelation chapter four, verses one and two. And and these verses says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking uh, with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne uh, standing in heaven and someone was sitting on the throne. so in, in these theologians say, no, 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 that open door is that Jesus says, okay, you've lost access back here in the synagogue, but guess what? I have opened a door to heaven itself for you. You now have heaven and I have opened that door and you now have complete access to the very throne of God. You are, have this open door. And, and they say, and that makes sense because we're letting a revelation kind of interpret revelation itself. You know, I'm one of those guys who likes to have my cake and eat it too. I like both those theories. Can I just tell you that? And so for me, why not both? Can we just do both? I think it's so cool. Maybe Jesus, said, maybe Jesus was saying, I have opened this opportunity for you to spread the good news. And by spreading that good news, there's also that open door now to, to the heaven itself, not just for you, but for the people you're sharing the gospel with. So whatever you want to think on that, those are some options. Ponder it, go home, talk about it, disagree with me, whatever you want to do. The second thing that Jesus' commendation that Jesus has for the church of Philadelphia is this. You have little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, I don't know about you, but when I watch athletics, I'm always impressed, not by the person who's the strongest and and makes it through, but the person who struggles and overcomes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, I think I'll never forget the Olympics, right? And here I'm ad-libbing, but I'll never forget the Olympics where uh, the young lady that was, had sprained her ankle and she did the vault. You guys remember that one? And she somehow lands on one foot and sticks it. It's like incredible. And I have, that was hard. And Jesus gets it. He says, you have little power. There's only a few of you in the sea. You only have a little power, but guess what? You're still stuck with it. You haven't denied me, even though you don't have much. And so what's, what does he say? What does he interject after that? He says, so see, look what I'm doing. I want to make those people actually admit later on that you are right. I'm going to, someday those people will say, you know what? Because the, these Jewish, these, these, these Christians that are coming out of Judaism, they're being told God doesn't like you. God doesn't love you. You're doing the wrong thing. By the way, can we just be a little bit careful about who we tell that God doesn't love them? Can we just be a little bit careful about that? I'm told that God loves everyone. Now, I know that God may not like certain things that happen. I think murder is something that God does not appreciate. Okay, there are things that God does not appreciate, but God loves everybody. So let's be careful not to tell people that they're not loved by God. And the cool thing here is that God says someday, I wanna wanna have those people because you've been doing what I asked you to do. Someday, you've kept my word, they're going to have to admit, you are right. You are right. And that's, by the way, an echo back to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14. The, the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. And all those who despise you will bow down at the soles of their, your feet. And they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion, the Holy One of Israel. And so there's this picture of this idea that, okay, good for you for doing what was right. So the third commendation that Jesus has is this one. Because you have kept my word to endure patiently. In other words, you've done 
the things I've asked, and you've done it patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, you remember in our little video that we had at the beginning, um, where we were talking about different lenses that you could view Revelation through. And we talked about one of those lenses being the historicist one, the one that the Seventh-day Adventist denomination subscribes to. And so in that particular view, as we said, these different churches corresponded to different eras of the church. And so Philadelphia comes before the final church. And so in the historicist viewpoint, what's being said here is that Jesus is going to keep that church from going through the last days, the, the, the terrible times. Remember Matthew 24, when Jesus says there will be a time of trouble like no other. And so this view is that this is what's happening here. But how does that help you and me if we're, if we're living in the age, the period of Laodicea? Do we just go, okay, well, Philadelphia, good for you. Lucky you, you got out of it. You got out of that. I guess we're going to have to do that. Family, what I love is this. Let's take a look at John 17, 15. Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. So in other words, Jesus says that he's not wanting to take his people out of the world, but rather to keep them away from the evil one. And the thing about that passage is that it actually um, grammatically really lines up well with, um, I will keep them from the hour of trial. Because what's happening here is that another way that you could actually translate this is say, I will be with you during the hour of trial. That's another way that you could translate this text. I'm going to be with you during the trial. And so maybe that could be particularly useful to you and me today. Because what I find in my life is that when I'm going through really difficult times, that's when I feel like Jesus has completely walked away. And I'm like, where are you at? And yet Jesus says to his church, I am right here with you. I am right with you during that trial. And just because you don't feel me and just because you don't see me, Philadelphia, whole life, doesn't mean that I am not right there with you in that time of testing, that I am coming with you during this time. So whichever way you want to look at it, the good news for you is that there is a message of hope and goodness for you and me today, right now. Jesus is with us. The final good piece of news, by the way, is that Jesus has some amazing things that he is going to do for this church. We saw it at the end of the text. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So there's a lot going on here, and I don't have time to talk to you all about this. So I'm going to make one point, and then I want you to go to the podcast on Wednesday and hear the rest of the story. Because the name on the pillars, when, when Solomon built his temple, he put two names on the pillars in Solomon's temple. We'll talk about that a little during podcast. The other thing we'll tell you about is the rest of the story with how Philadelphia got its name. It involves two brothers. It's a cool story. You only get to hear it during the podcast. But back to this. Um, <laughs> this is whole life is the podcast. Okay, so... The one who overcomes will become a pillar in the temple of God. For a bunch of people who had just been expelled from their church, Jesus says, by the way, you're not just going to be in my church. You're going to be one of the main pillars in my church. Isn't that amazing? He says, I know that your beliefs and the things that you did have, have caused estrangement, have caused you to be cast out. But guess what? That's not the end story. The end story is that you are a pillar. You are one of the supports you have a prominent and important place in my church, in my temple that is a heavenly temple, that is a new Jerusalem. Isn't that beautiful?
You know, can we just admit that following Jesus comes with a price tag? Family, let's not sell Christianity as like this, you know, you know, great thing where you get everything you want and it somehow, you know, everything works out the way you hope it would. Christianity is tough, it is hard, it involves sacrifice. There's a reason Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. There's a reason why. But family, can we just take a minute? Can we just take a minute and admit that while there's a heavy cost, Jesus speaks to us through the church of Philadelphia and says, yes, there's a cost, but I am more than able more than able to make up for anything you lost, not just make up for it, but exceed and give you more than. He is more than able to make up anything that we have to sacrifice for his kingdom and family. The day is coming. It is coming soon. Ken, thank you so much again for that beautiful uh, service. And we have run out of time Earlier this morning, the computer crashed, and I couldn't take questions today. Now we have questions, and I don't have time. It's a conspiracy against you. I know. I am making executive decision. Ask one question. We're going to tease it. We won't. We'll ask it, and then you can answer it in the podcast. Maybe. Okay. So this one actually came from Daniela, and it said, "In Centered today, we discussed about what makes a church good and why we go. Since the church is the people, are we to take this to the individual level? How do you think the Church of Philadelphia reflected Jesus' character?" Oh, you're right. (laughs) I want to answer it, but it would take too long. So that is a good question, and it deserves a a good lengthy answer. So this is Whole Life, the podcast. Wednesday. Wednesday. (laughs) Story of Philadelphia. More about the columns. There's going to be a lot of extra stuff in this podcast, so I'm going to be a part of that. Haas, I'm sorry, man. You just keep getting robbed. It's okay. All right. Well, (laughs) it'll be what it'll be. All right, family. I want to remind you that uh, next week, if you show up here, you are showing up at the wrong place. We're going to be out at uh, Connected and uh, that, that event that's uh, taking place. So make sure you're a part of that. Make sure you've signed up for that. It's at Grove Park, and uh, it's going to be just fantastic. We are going to be the church. So instead of having services here, we are going to be of service there. All right, so be a part of that. And then I also want to remind you that Barn Party is coming up on November 11th, and we would love to get some help because we've got, there's, did you know we've got all kinds, we've actually got several new things that are going to be a part of Barn Party. I don't even want to talk about them because they're so cool. John Monday sat me down and told me they're amazing. But uh, it may involve a, should I say it? Hayride? Hayride? Oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, so anyway, there we go. So lots going on with that. Check it out. Be a part of that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the chance to be together today. We thank you for your love. Help us to be like Philadelphia in the sense that we aren't afraid to suffer for your sake and that we can trust that you'll be with us in it. You'll see us through it and that you will make up anything that we lose here on earth, that you have the ability to make it up. Thank you so much for being that kind of a God that loves us that way. I pray in your name, amen. All right, family, I love you. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, 
Don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.